welcome to this special edition of Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I am so grateful that you have decided to join us here on this program today. Uh, we're going to have a, a very interesting conversation with a woman we've had on the program before. And if you're wondering uh, about that interview, guess what? I'm going to send you to our uh, website, which is richarddugan.com, where you can see the podcasts that are loaded up on SoundClouds, SoundCloud, as well as on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other locations. Too many to numerous, too numerous to mention, but also those that you have been reposting us to. We're also on YouTube because uh, we are now putting the videos up on YouTube for you to uh, watch. So we hope that you will uh, avail yourselves of that opportunity as well. We are going to talk today with a woman, as I said, who's been on the program before, who has written a rather extraordinary uh, work, if you will. I'll put it in that context. Uh, and it has to do with uh, your coming into this world and what this all means. The title of the book is Born to Do It, and Rebecca Louisa Smith is my guest, returning to our program again. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Richard. Me back. I love it. Um, I'm so excited. So thank you. It's great to be here. This is something that uh, we talked about, obviously, in our first interview, uh, Born to Do It. Uh, now, there are many different kinds of being born. Uh, first, obviously, uh, is the initial entrance into this world through mama's, uh, th from mama's womb. Uh, but then, of course, there are other uh, philosophical um, births as we uh, go in through life. And in a lot of cases, <clears throat> there are transitions in our lives. I had this experience after my divorce where people said, you look so different. It's, it's like you've been, you know, and they even used the term like you're a different person, like you've been born again. And I said, well, I suppose maybe there is a certain element to that. Uh, are we talking about the initial birth that we celebrate every year or and or are we talking about those other aspects of being born or born again, <laughs> if you will? Yeah, so it's it's interesting, isn't it? Um, because with the whole like being born to do it in my book, it talks about um, how to tap into your soul purpose. That really actually is, to be honest, is being born again that you just mentioned, because it's where you actually tap into what you're born to do, that you're put on this earth to do. That comes from, you know, being born. We're put, in this life, we're put in this life to do something. So to figure out what it is, and that's by tuning into what it is, what's called our soul purpose. Um, and then when you tune into it, you'll feel a new person because you'll be doing them what you're supposed to be doing all your life. Mm. That takes us <clears throat> to that next step, and you've already mentioned it, uh, something we talk about regularly on this program without fail, and that has to do with one's life's purpose. And we encourage people, uh, especially now, last year, as of our conversation, 2020 was the year of perfect vision where we encouraged people to go within, which is the only place that you have perfect vision. Uh, and you listen to that still small voice and so on and so forth. You find that place of peace and calm and tranquility, if you will. And um, we ask people to do that because if 
But in listening to that still small voice, they can get that guidance. They can get that inspiration, that encouragement to go a particular direction in their lives. And one of the things I found out, Rebecca, and uh, I'd love for us to talk about this aspect of uh, uh, Born to Do It, it being our life's purpose, uh, is that it isn't necessarily static. It can be rather dynamic and can change depending upon the stages in our life. Like when I experienced my divorce and people say, oh, you look born again. Uh, new opportunities arise with the various things that have happened to us in this country over the last, let's just say the last 20 years, uh, 2008 with the economic downturn, you know, uh, whether you're talking about uh, elections or you're talking about illnesses and viruses and diseases. Every time we pass through one of those milestones, uh, we're sort of born again and does our purpose, is there a single purpose for life as opposed to those transitionals? Or from your perspective, your observation and your writing, does that purpose change? That overall life purpose change? It can adapt. So, for example, with my story, I thought what I was supposed to be doing was academia because that's because people said I'd be good at it didn't actually want to do it. I just realized when I found my sole purpose, but that's what I thought I should be doing. I did kind of enjoy, you know, the writing, you know, it was hard work. But then when I got asked to produce a film festival, that's what I thought was going to be a distraction and a hobby, you know, something to do and get out the house writing all day. Mm -hmm. was the, Hang on, I'm enjoying this more than I am academia. I've suddenly come alive. I'm feeling more creative. I'm feeling more inspired. I'm actually feeling myself. For a long time, if if ever, I said a very interesting shift that's occurred. So I thought maybe maybe this is good good for the PhD. Then I realised <laughs> it's not what it's supposed to be doing, and that was confirmed when I was at a conference and a friend of mine turned around and went, "Oh, don't you think academia is the best thing in the world?" I was like, "Nope, no, it's not. Not for me. It's for you because that's what you're supposed to be doing. That's what you're gifted. This, you know, you love teaching in academia. I don't. So it was quite an interesting kind of shock." And she was just like, oh, oh. So I realized then it wasn't going to be for my career and that I wasn't on this earth to teach or to go in academia. Yes, I've written a good PhD. And I'm very proud of it. Um, but it's just that's where that chapter ended. And the new chapter was then working in the world of film distribution. And then my company create, came out of that. So it adapted. So what I thought at first was, yep, I need to work in the film industry, not in academia, was confirmed. And then when I started to do my research, there was more ideas that came into my head because obviously access my creative kind of abundance and I spoke to some filmmakers and they all said you know we love festivals but we don't know who to ask to get our films into festivals and strategize oh. because we don't know what we're doing so well there's a market here and there's a big market because everyone wants this so then that did adapt and it did morph because it went from oh I need to work in producing a film festival to oh what I should be doing for my career is helping people get their films seen at festivals and building their careers this is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan here with Rebecca Louisa Smith. Born to do it, the title of the book, and we're talking about you being born to do it. What is it? You tell me. That is another issue I think that we need to talk about. Rebecca, you've written this wonderful book, but you're not going to 
reveal in the book what an individual's life purpose is because, first of all, you don't know. And second of all, it's not up to you to determine what someone else's life purpose is, which I always found interesting when we're working for the Christian radio station back in the 80s and early 90s, where when people would tell other people, well, God told me to tell you, which is the reason why I tell people to go within, because that's where you will get the answers you need for you. Uh, so, so do you find that there are those out there who do try to... And I guess parents are more notorious for it than anyone else for trying to tell their kids what it is that they should do with their lives. Yeah, I mean, it is a thing where I think the reason why I suddenly began doing years of studying was because our lecturer said, you know, oh, you should all go and do a degree, you should all go and do a PhD, you should do a master's. It just became a habit, you know, just, you know, having fun at the university and seeing friends and studying. I was always so very committed to it. I was never like slacking. I was always extremely disciplined, focused, you know, and I would commit to a desired outcome. That wouldn't be an issue because I'd be focused on it and I'd engage. Um, it wasn't like a chore. It was just not what I should be doing the rest of my life. It was very much a case of, yep, yeah, I can do it, but I'm not born to do it is the thing. Then when you realize what your sole purpose is, that's a key thing. In the yeah. book, Chapter one, I outline the method that those, as you say, I, I can't tell you what your sole purpose is, but I can give you the method. I can help you and tap into it. In the book, I talk about that because it's not the easiest thing to do, um, tap into your sole purpose. It's not a thing that you do like, you know, consciously or naturally, like today I'm going to find my sole purpose. It takes a bit of time if you want to tune into it, but if you were committed to finding it, and it's a case of just going within. So the key stuff is to really think about what is it that I am most drawn to? And what kind of hobby or, or something can I, or activity can I do for hours and like time will pass, but I don't even realize that I've missed breakfast, lunch and dinner. <laughs> and then what do I wake up drawn to where I'm just like, can't to get out of bed and start doing this. And that's for me, it's obviously my business. I love in the morning because as I live in Mexico City, I've got staff in the UK and clients in the UK, obviously. So when I wake up, I'm six hours behind. So it's around, say I wake up at seven, it's like 1 p.m. in the UK. So I love it when I just see all the messages come through about questions and then work stuff and, and wins and results and all that kind of stuff. I love it. And that's what where we can more like it's exciting. It's not dramatic, it's exciting, you know, any kind of effort or a chore is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I absolutely love it. It's brilliant. Um, so that's what really that's what I'm drawn to. When you know in the morning, when you if you're dreading in the morning waking up like off emails at work, oh I can't, I can't, I bear it, I'm in a panic attack. So what you know, what you should be doing. These things may sound obvious, but when you look into it closer and you realize that you've been ignoring, well, not ignoring consciously, but unconsciously just not getting the signs or tuning in, it can be quite a different kind of um, experience. So just really go in and, and even ask the universe is, you know, please, can you show me um, what I need to be doing for my career and ask a place of cosmic order and then ask them, you know, can you show me the way forwards? And they will. Yeah. Far be it from me to tell you uh, uh, how to live your life, Rebecca, or uh, even uh, to to add anything to your mission. However, I'm looking. Yeah, however, I'm going to. No, I'm, <laughs> um, I'm reading about your mission, which is to help filmmakers get their films seen in festivals around the world so they can get visibility, gain their films, get their films sold, win awards and create more opportunities for their careers. There's one thing I, I, that, from my perspective, as we converse here about a life's purpose that's missing from that mission statement. 
and that is to help filmmakers to get their message out. I see so many interviews with uh, producers and directors and so forth of films. You know, I uh, whether it's a documentary or otherwise, I read the script or I saw the idea for this documentary or whatever the case. I said, I got to tell this story. Th this just... This just hit me just right at the right time in my life. This has to be done. Uh, you know, I can't wait. Uh, and you you facilitate that opportunity for people. What uh, what does that do for you when you re when you help someone realize their dream that their their story, fictional fiction or otherwise, is is finally out there for the world to see. And they're no longer because a lot of people, they tell their story because, you know, I've been hiding and I haven't been able to. I've been so afraid and on and on. And, on, and finally, I found an outlet. And this this for me was safe and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Tell me about how that makes you feel. How's that? What's that do for you? It's the best feeling in the world. It's like sublime. It really is. A full stop is sublime. I love it when I get in the morning. So as I mentioned before, when I wake up and I've got, you know, the backlog of emails because I'm six hours behind and I get all the, uh, see the festival screening invites come in and seeing our clients' films going to be getting out there, winning awards. It's incredible. Yesterday was a brilliant example. So I remember I placed a cosmic order that what I wanted when I woke up was some really exciting emails. I didn't really specify, I just asked that. I thought I'd just put it out there. And then when I woke up without, totally unexpected, but I'm glad this happened, but one of my films got into an into a Oscar level qualifying film festival called the Cleveland Film Festival in Ohio. And it's a brilliant festival. We've had films there before and they took this one. We were so happy. And they were really happy to have the film. And getting into a big Oscar qualifying festival is a big deal because it's not easy to get into when you know they're they're very big festivals. So we're really happy that we got into that one. And the filmmaker was really happy. And what she said to me, she said, oh, I'm gonna read this out because it's something that's really interesting. So she'd read my book, my client read my book. And she said to me, I was feeling as if we weren't going to get into any more big festivals. But I swear, after reading your book, I thought I must only think about how wonderfully positive the future of the film festival will be for my film. So I imagine the feeling of being festival, big festival acceptances. And voila, next day she gets that. So she, she put it out there, she let it go. And it was fantastic. So, and we got it in and I was so happy. And I was just like, wow. So it shows when you place the order, but you let it go and have no expectations for a certain festival to come in or a certain award or whatever, that you get it. And I too was like, wow, that was the best gift ever. And seeing her so happy and how the, the book had helped her and how I had helped her through my working with her as a filmmaker was just to me the best feeling. Mm. One of the challenges that I have, especially when it comes to awards, is trying to figure out how in the world you judge all of these different films in this case and give one of them an award when all of them, every one of them has certain merits that w should have gotten them that award, but you can only have one. Um, you know, I mean, and again, that's the, I guess that's the proverbial argument regarding art. How do you judge art? You know, it's in the eye of the beholder, as they say. Um, and I know that's not an area that you deal in, but that's got to be something that, that comes up, uh, when submitting, 
uh, are you are you uh, aware of? Are you connected with in any way, shape, or form those people who make those kinds of decisions? Not in terms of influencing them towards the people that you represent, but in terms of understanding how they make those kinds of determinations. Yes. So we have a we have contacts all over the world at film festivals, and we know how they kind of judge. So, for example. Um, the Paris uh, Film Festival, which is a great festival, just finished running at the weekend. And a film that won, I think it was four or five awards called Cream, hadn't had like a massive festival run, but it had a lot of qualities to it that were very interesting. And the jury took to it. And also the jury being French, French Film Festival, you know, they really saw um, the amazing kind of qualities in French filmmaking because that's what they live and breathe on. So again, everyone's got different opinions. And some films that, you know, are wonderful to make it because they just don't maybe resonate as much with another film. But every film that was screened at that festival was award-winning, was award-worthy. Yeah. And our, one of our films that won was called Proxy that has got fantastic um, hair and makeup and it won. And it's not had that award yet, but they saw that 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 quality and they picked it. So a lot of the time it is idiosyncratic, but also what comes into the judging process is cultural connotations. So it can be, you know, like those who are very passionate about French film and they know it or know the little subtleties and nuances and kind of like kooky, you know, odd little French films. So they'll see, they'll get it more than other festivals would in terms of engagement. Um, but all the films that screen at festivals that are competing for awards are worthy of that award no matter what. Yeah. My challenge with foreign films, foreign language films, of course, is subtitles. Um, when they do the English overdubbing, if it isn't done well, it, it takes away from the the visuals, you know, because like, oh, my yeah. God, this voice doesn't fit this this person. No. I would be like putting a male voice with a female character, um, which in America, uh, in terms of having uh, challenges with foreign film, foreign language films, is unfortunate because I know that in other countries around the world, I, a matter of fact, I met a uh, an Italian gal, a young gal uh, who is going through high school, uh, college. Uh, and she she speaks eight languages now. She spoke five when I met her. And those five languages she learned where in Italian school, whereas in this country, we barely we barely learn English. Uh, some people might take Spanish. I know French is available and I know all of the other languages are probably available I took one semester. I took one semester of Spanish in high school just to get out of one semester of English, which, you know, uh, may or may not have been a smart move at the time. But but nonetheless, um, in terms of these films and especially when Oscar time rolls around, uh, Rebecca, uh, they have all of these different categories. Are there. Uh, does it make any difference in reference to your clients? Uh, shall we shall we put it that way? Your clients, as to the type of film, whether it be fiction, nonfiction, documentary, uh, short, uh, in, in terms of your representation, are you representing anybody who is willing to come to you and say, "Hey, look, I, I, I want I want to get my film exposed. I want to get my my film out to the people." Yes, I, I would love to go to the festivals and win some awards and do this stuff, but I, I really, the message is real important to me and so on and so on and so on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, every filmmaker is different. I mean, a lot of them have similar goals, but they've all got different projects and different audiences to get them to. So you've got to treat one in a very holistic way. 
And not every single film we can work on because it might not be the best sound or the best picture quality, you know, or it might not be, shall we say, amateurish, which there are festivals for amateur films, but it's different category to other festivals that we normally deal with. So we can help them to some degree, but it wouldn't be like a full-on kind of management package where we take everything on and then get it into all those festivals. So every film is different. Everyone's got different needs. Everyone's got different um, perceptions and how things change for the festival world. Now, in terms of these films uh, and the people that you represent, um, your mindset, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier about uh, the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, going within and so forth. How much of your intuition do you access, if you will, uh, when deciding whether or not to connect and represent someone and, and help them to get their message out through their film? It's a key priority all the time, a really big key priority, um, because their message is in their film and it is you know, going to resonate with a lot of audiences and it's got a lot of quite creative, creative qualities to it. You know, festivals are going to like that, audiences will like that, those festivals. So it's kind of like a marrying them with the right festival, literally. You know, it's like these people, these festivals would get it and the audience would get it and we get the message. It's been the message, you know, would really resonate with it and could see the value in it. And we had a film yesterday and it was a very interesting way of dealing with a miscarriage. And it was very creative and, you know, almost like a horror to a degree, but not quite. And it was on the verge, but the ending wasn't quite strong enough, but it had potential to be screened at a smaller festival, but she was aiming far too high. So I came in and helped her get a different strategy to knock it into shape. And that's now got the right kind of results. And she was saying, oh yes, I saw what the issue was. You know, I mean, it's, it's certainly a striking story, um, but you know, what I want to do is get my name out there. And she's got a great portfolio. You know, I said, well, we just keep you in these festivals, which will have the right audience for it. They're going to forgive the mistakes. Well, not mistakes, but, the kind of things a little bit aren't quite holding it together. She was like, okay, that's great. Now she knows for the next film, what to clarify and what to emphasize. Hmm. You're listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, along with Rebecca Louisa Smith, and we're talking about her book, among other things. We're talking about uh, Born to Do It is the title of her book, and she's a returning guest to our program. We encourage you to go to uh, richarddugan.com and scroll through or go to SoundCloud and just uh, search uh, for uh, Rebecca, spelled with a K. Not at the beginning. Uh, I guess Rebecca is usually spelled with a C, but Rebecca here, Rebecca Louisa Smith spells hers with a K. And her website. Yeah, I thought you might ask where her website was. Quite easy. It's RebeccaLouisaSmith.com, R-E-B-E-K-A-H-L-O-U-I-S-A-S-M-I-T-H.com. And uh, you can find out more about the work that she's doing and the book that she has written. What was the impetus for your, what was the catalytic moment that said, Rebecca, you need to write this book? Yeah. <laughs> well, again, that was it's probably a higher voice than that, but you know. Yeah, obviously a higher voice. <laughs> that was actually, again, another happy surprise um, that came about. So I did an interview, an in-depth interview for, for an Indian book called Unique, and it was a book about how um, certain individuals, how they approach their, their lives, careers, and, what, and the niche businesses that they work in. I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Um, so I was very intrigued um, by this publisher who approached me and she said to me, have you ever thought about writing your own story? 
And I said, no, never. And she went, from this, from this interview, there's a great material here for a book and to get people to work with you in your business. I was like, well, I've never thought of it. So we had a meeting, talked about, you know, how to approach writing a book. And I, and I said, okay, let's do it. I know what book I've got inside of me now. And she got out the book idea, which was how to start your first business, but not in a boring, dry way, rather at a spiritual twist to talk about how to tune in to what you're born to do and then start up your first business using business techniques and spiritual practices. That's what I wanted to say, because that's what I mentioned in all my interviews, how I work, how I bring in spiritual practices and how my business um, coaches help me get the business back into shape with their methods. I wanted to share that, but also because I'm, I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing. I would never advise this for anybody who's doing something they don't want to do and what they're supposed to be doing. So it all starts with the sole purpose and we talk about how you start your first business. So it actually was really good to write. It took two weeks to write and then we had the editor uh, do the corrections. And that was, you know, Titan Senses, who, were, who was fantastic. But yeah, it got at me really quickly and I, I committed to it like I would a job and work. So as I had the lockdown in the UK when I was living in the UK, it was a long lockdown and it's still long, apparently it's long lockdown now, still people are still in lockdown there. But um, it was very much a case of I had time to write because I was normally I travel like every day in the tube on a plane or events. I'm always doing something. So obviously that's kind of died down. So in the evenings I had time to write and I thought well, I'm going to make sure I write every couple of hours each night. And I did. And I loved it. It was great. And then the book came together really quickly and I knew exactly how to get it in shape. It wasn't a challenge to write because it was all inside of me just to get out. And then, you know, we had the structure. So it was fine. Two weeks. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to thank you for joining us on the program. But this interview is now over. I've been working on mine for 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) I I wonder if it took that uh, that short amount of time because... (laughs) was very much committed to the idea came out and we planned them to the minute detail that took like about a week and writing it but it was all in there just to come out and it flowed and it felt natural to flow there were some nights i'd write until like two in the morning because it just was just coming out so i just carried on i didn't want to give up but also because i had my business as well so I my business obviously uh, so i did that all in the day and stuff and then the evening slightly quieter even though my people from the states contact me because of the time difference but either way it was it was still just the right flow to do it yeah. and it felt to do it and yeah so i mean the editing took the editing didn't take too long because it was literally just tying up the sentences so you didn't repeat yourself and that editor was great there and there wasn't anything it wasn't like a major rewrite to do and my publisher was quite surprised that it took that um quick i think maybe she was expecting it to take much longer but it took no time and she was like wow okay well that's good so then we just got it out there and did the right cover and then we were able to do another primer wow i'm impressed uh, really, I mean, it, it doesn't sound like much, but uh, from some perspectives, but the reality is that we, uh, <laughs> we a, a timing is everything and divine right timing is everything. And uh, that's kind of how I look at that with my book, uh, even though the ideas in it are, I think they're pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure they are. I mean, it's just a case of organizing it. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> The only kind of stress I had was just a bit like, oh, God, the, the daunting process of writing a book. So I remember I haven't written anything since my PhD. I didn't want to write anything again after that. But then I realized I can write still. I'm a quick writer. I've written a thesis. So I can write quite quickly. But also when we planned it, it was much better because planning is the crucial thing. Getting the ideas and writing the ideas down, but then planning it was the best thing. So I'm very proud that it all came together quite well. But I have to say, if I was still in like the normal life we used to have where I'd be traveling every day, then it would be a lot slower because I wouldn't be tied to my desk and I'll be at home, you know, so I'm glad that 
in a way, glad that it was a lockdown because it wouldn't have happened if not. Um, you know, if there was no lockdown, there'd be no book and there'd be no gift to share with people. So, you know, I'm very weirdly happy um, that there was kind of that time with just a chill. Um, but, you know, now it's a bit more opening up in here. Well, I tell you, it's it's great to to uh, come up with these wonderful ideas uh, that that many, many times they come from there's part of me that I won't say that come from outside of us because they don't. They always come from within us uh, mm-hmm. that um, ch- change our lives far beyond what we thought they would do. And and that to me is something that. We, it's like when I, when I uh, set up interviews with different guests and their different philosophies, their different perspectives, which I want to talk about yours in a moment, but they will go to my website and they will see the kinds of interviews that we do, the guests and so forth. I even had one gentleman who basically said, nope, you got a lot of weird stuff on your website. Yeah, well, if if he were to listen to this interview and he thinks this is weird, I don't know. I think you better rethink that, buddy. And then I had one gentleman who basically said, nah, uh, he doesn't have wide enough exposure. I really want to get my thing out there to, yeah, I, I would send him to you. Although he's doing a book, if it were a film, I would send him to you saying, look, you need to talk to Rebecca Louisa Smith. Um, she'll get you the exposure that you're looking for. Uh, but by the same token, from a spiritual standpoint, nobody knows who's listening to these programs at any given time. I mean, somebody may be listening right now. We live here in Santa Barbara. We have the Santa Barbara, the International Film Festival here in Santa Barbara every yeah. year. And I have not seen any of the films since I've lived here. And I've been here for 14 years. But I also would love for there to be an opportunity for those of us who can't make it for whatever logistics or dollars uh, reasons uh, I'd love for there to be an outlet where I would like to see some of these great films that are at these festivals. Where do I go? Uh, Rebecca, when these festivals are gone, a lot of these films, they kind of, they, they seep down into the sand somewhere uh, never to be seen again. And it's like, well, wait a minute. I heard such great things about the story and the people and the, this and the, that and the other. Um, are there, can you tell us about how, if we wanted to, how we could see some of these films? Yeah. I mean, besides the festival circuit to travel on a lot of, uh, since the pandemic, again, the pandemic again, is that people are now watching a lot of films online because theaters are closed. Um, and then theaters are doing, you know, virtual kind of, um, satellite, um, uh, kind of screenings of films, mm-hmm. drive-ins. But the VOD market, video on demand market, is where you can see these kind of films. And actually, since the pandemic, a lot of these, say, smaller indie gems that we represent and that we get out to get seen are now finding a place on um, on VOD that they wouldn't have before. So yeah. a friend of mine who is a sales agent and sells films to distribution companies like Netflix, iTunes, Amazon, etc. Um, one of his films was um, brought by Netflix and it wasn't for, say, a huge amount of money, but it was certainly you no know, money. And it's got onto Netflix, which before it wouldn't have, because it would be one of those smaller films that wouldn't really get to be seen on Netflix before the pandemic. But now it's that's changed. So you can see them on these kind of platforms, which is amazing. Yeah. So, um, so it's very grateful that um, streaming companies are starting to realize how important 
independent film is for audiences. People don't want to see the same old, same old each time, you know, like big Hollywood blockbusters with Adam Sandler in, et cetera. They want to see other things that is the more like, you know, the niche and other kind of stories that will challenge them because they couldn't watch them at home. They can't go outdoors and see them. They can't go into cinema and see them yet really. It used to be. It's limited. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's extraordinary uh, what my wife and I have been able to see on TV uh, in regards to uh, uh, all of these different films that are out there. It's like, if we didn't have On Demand, we never would have seen this. Yeah. And that, to me, is so cool. You know, uh, and I, I, I mean, some of them, there was a movie that I, I don't know if this was ever at a festival or not. Okay. But it was called Upside Down, a science fiction film. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but it was a movie and the basic premise, I don't want to give anything away because I want people to see this film and I'm sure it's still available on Netflix. If not, it's on Prime or some other outlet. And... It, uh, it uh, uh, was about these two planets that were basically this close together to where they built buildings that would actually merge. Each of them had its own gravity. And so you had to get this special metal this, this, that they, they, they mined on the lower planet. It, just in terms of a point of reference here. And that metal, when you were on the other planet, would allow you to counter the gravity and you'd be able to walk around. Otherwise, you'd you'd float away because the gravity, your body is tuned to the gravity on the, pla on the planet you're on. And mm -hmm. it, it's a love story. It's a science fiction story. It's a, a, it's a story of um, haves and have-nots. I mean, and that was the amazing thing to me is one planet was very well off and that and the other planet, which had the ore for this metal, was not so much. OK, mm -hmm. it was like the other side of the tracks. Mm -hmm. And it fascinated me to no end. It was I'm going, who came up with this great idea? That is so cool, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's one of the things I've noticed, Rebecca, how how many ideas are out there that we don't get to see and experience. James Redfield says it in his book, Celestine Prophecy, that we have messages one for another. Well, there are filmmakers who have messages in their films for us. And thank you for telling us that, hey, you just have to look for them. Uh, would we go to the, the various film festival websites to get a list of the films so that then we could do the, our searching on the various platforms, right? Yes, correct. So if you look at previous festival programs and you can see films that you're really keen on, then find them on a platform like that because you'll find now that a lot more gems are surfacing. Like you say, those stories are what festivals like and what filmmakers make and do it in the right way. Yeah. So absolutely. It's Look on the online. It's always going to be there. Well, I'll tell you, it's to me, it's, it's, it's extraordinary because uh, it can be so much fun. You just don't know what you're going to come across. We found some really cool, fun films. Uh, I'm not much into horror myself. I don't care much for, you know, those kinds of things. My wife is more so. She likes the, the zombies and that kind of stuff and the very intense dramas. 
I I like to laugh. I like I like cartoons. What can I tell you? A group with Warner Brothers, you know. Yeah. Although there will, there will be those who will say, well, there's a lot of violence in them. There Warner Brother cartoons with Elmer Fudd walking around with his shotgun trying to shoot the rabbit. Uh <laughs> yeah, there's that too. There is that too. Um, there's quite a lot of that. Yeah. So I mean, it varies. Um, I mean, there is all sorts of stuff to um, cater for different tastes because taste is a big thing. Yeah. Uh, big thing so it's very important that everyone knows what people's tastes are to really get into the right festivals so yeah have you ever come across someone who wanted you to represent them and as you researched and again i know this would go directly to your intuition you just i'm sorry but i i i can't um and i i don't know how you explain that to the person but nonetheless you just i can't do it yeah, I mean, sometimes it can be not just for a film that isn't particularly well made or strong. It can be with a client who is not able to accept that his film won't get into big festivals. So I had this one guy who I really admire and respect. But when we had the had the meeting, I didn't like that he got a bit defensive. And I can see why he did it in a way, because it's his baby. He's worked on it for a very long time. It was a very difficult film shoot, you know, so you got to take that into account. Um, but then he said to me, oh, you tell me two films that are similar to mine. Uh, that have that are like mine and but mine isn't as strong you know like got really like you tell me too that you know this is original and he was convinced that it will go to these big festivals and I went I said well yes the, the, your acting in your film is great it's interesting approach nice was the end you know some, some good qualities about it but festival programmers of the big tier that you're wanting to get into will know the structure and I guess the ending so it's not going to be selected by them. You know, it's going to be a really hard sell. And I wouldn't want to take that risk and just put all eggs into that big back, into that one small basket. I'd rather approach it to say tier two um, that are still strong, but would would really be more welcome to it, be the right audience. Mm. But he wasn't taking it and he wasn't taking it at all. And I was like, well, you know, if you're willing to adapt and embrace a second tier that will really love the film and you'll get recognized for it, then we can work on it. But it just got, it didn't feel right to me. So I sent him a proposal, mm. didn't even respond, you know? So stuff like that is, that's not the right kind of clientele to work with, who people that can't do that. It probably will. He's probably the kind of guy that when he gets the rejection, so realize, you know, okay, maybe she was right. But it's so bad just to not, to wait until we get to that stage because we can get more more upsetting filmmakers when yeah. I'm trying to help, you know, with my advice that I know. Yeah. Rebecca Louisa Smith's my guest. Born to Do It is the uh, book. RebeccaLouisaSmith.com is the website. We will be linked to your website as well on the podcasts. And uh, we encourage people to tune in to the video cast on YouTube. The YouTube channel is Richard Dugan. Tell me your story. Hope you will uh, look for the guy with the hat, okay? It's not that hard to find. And uh, we encourage you to go to her website as well and uh, check out the book. Check out the other work that she's doing. Maybe you are a filmmaker. Maybe you're here locally in Santa Barbara and, and you're, you're making films. Um, are there, uh, you know, you, you made reference to um, uh, the aspects of uh, maybe it's not, a, it wasn't made real well. Do you find that in today's, uh, with, with today's technology, that a lot of people think, oh, look, I, I've seen the movies that were made with an iPhone or an Android. Uh, I've seen the films that were made with a Fitbit or, or you know, whatever device, as opposed to a high-end uh, um, uh, industry-quality camera uh, and so forth. And, of course, they've gotten smaller, too, I know. 
that they think, hey, no, this is great. It's one of the problems that I have had myself when we first started doing, uh, when I first started doing uh, uh, interviews using uh, using Skype. I started there, and, and then we shifted over to the Zoom. Uh, and I would watch some videos of some of the program, the guests that I'd have on the program. And one woman, I watched her video, and I'm going, "You got to be kidding! What? You you you're using your monitor as your lighting? Uh, you don't? Do you know what's behind you? I realize mm-hmm. I've got the globe behind me. I'm floating out here in space. Um, do you do you understand that I can barely hear you because your microphone is across the room? Uh, do you not care enough about your message? Da-da-da. And so when I uh, when I did the interview afterwards, I says, do you mind if I give you some constructive uh, criticism or a critique of your video? And she's no, go ahead. And I told her, I said, you know, da 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 da. And she said, I understand. And no, I hear you. I wanted to get it out there, but I do have somebody who's going to be coming in and do it professionally. Well, whether you are <laughs> waiting for the professional to come along or not. Why would you put something out there where the sound and the visuals are distracting from the message? That's one of the things that has always perplexed me. And it's it's the goal that I have always made, even when I was working back in the 80s and early 90s, when we were using vinyl and audio tape and so forth. I did everything I could to clean up the audio that that we were creating a program with so that there were no distractions so that whoever was listening to it could hear the message and make the, make up their own minds about whether or not. Whereas if you can barely understand it or you're distracted by, then you're, you're not really focused on the message. Well, exactly. That's correct. It is all about the right lighting, the right angles. I'm going to buy myself soon. I moved to my new place over here, um, some proper lighting, you know, some, some really nice lighting for Zoom and for recording my um, tip videos. So what I do on Instagram is Rebecca's Top Tips, which are all about um, tips for festival programmers, sorry, tips for, tips for um, um, sorry, tips for filmmakers um, so that they can get their film seen in festivals and how I can help them. And I love doing them. And I do it well because I got the right nice lighting here with the sun coming in in Mexico. Yeah. But then it's nice to get it just on point and the right kind of shading. And those zoom lights are really good. But yeah, the, all those little things, those minor things really matter. Yeah. So for sure. And I'm not saying that when you're looking at me, uh, I've done everything right here. Okay. I never wanted to get into video. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't. But with the pandemic coming along, it was, okay, you can either continue doing what you're doing or you can expand your repertoire. You can add some more tools to your toolbox. I'm now doing video editing. <laughs> and what I found is it isn't that much different than audio editing. So I'm having, I'm having great fun with it. I really am. Um, but that's something, too, that I think that, that people are uh, beginning to realize is that um, when these different challenges in our lives as individuals as a community, as a society, as a population, come along, it's the word you used earlier. We need to adapt. And exactly. filmmakers need to do that too. Yes, absolutely. Adapting to new technology, but also adapting their mindset to what kind of film they have and to embrace this new world distribution because making a film is different to distributing. It's a whole new different kind of fish, whole new expertise, a whole new area. It's not a good idea to take it all on by yourself because 
you need to know those little subtleties and how to work the field and how to maneuver it. You know, it's very different. I mean, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't go out now and make a film because I don't know how to do that because it's not my expertise, you know, but my expertise is getting the films out there. They're very different jobs, different ways of talking to people, different expertise. Yeah. You are listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're talking with Rebecca Louisa Smith, the author of Born to Do It. We're talking about uh, your uh, coming into this world for a particular purpose or reason. Rebecca, if you um, have that particular title to that book, it sounds to me like you are a believer philosophically in uh, what a lot of my guests talk about, and that is that we come into this world uh, having, so to speak, maybe literally, maybe metaphorically, signing a contract that says, this is what I want to do in this lifetime. Uh, there may even be a part of you that also uh, uh, has a, a belief in reincarnation, that we live many lives uh, mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, and as you said earlier, our, our uh, purpose in life when we come into this world as maybe, again, part of that contract is, okay, I'm going to start out with this purpose and then I'm going to transition and transition and transition. And... It always seems to me very difficult for us to accept someone else's journey. Um, do you ever come across someone who, and I would, I would assume that you, and let me rephrase that, I, I would guess, <laughs> not assume, that you see the films that this individual who wants to have you get them into festivals, you look at their films before you agree to represent them right yeah you have to yes you have to yeah you have to assess the quality and if it can be represented and also when i tell the filmmaker what the film how the film will work the circuit what it will do if it will be what they want because that's like that that person i mentioned earlier he was expecting all bigger things but didn't know what kind of film he had so you have to say to them this is what it can do if this can be in alignment what you want then we can work on it Um, there's no point taking it on if it's not going to be what they want to match the potential their goals have you ever had to say to someone i think and and not in these words i'm sure you said it much more gently than this yeah i think you might want to consider a different occupation uh, (laughs) because this does not seem to be your bailiwick or you need more experience you need more education in order to get this story out in a way that I could then maybe represent you? Um, sometimes, but that was more in the beginning of the business when I was working with all sorts of filmmakers. Okay. Now I work with higher end who don't make films. That's what, that's what they're supposed to be doing in their lives. So not really. It's more a case of, you know, sometimes film, some films are great, but they're just commercial. They're not what festivals want. So we can't work on those. Um, it's, you know, they're well-made, but just they are for a different market. You know, so it does vary, but rarely now in the beginning, yes, it was working with, you know, seeing filmmakers that came in with films that just, you couldn't even hear the sound. So you can't work on those, but that doesn't happen now. Are you, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the category. It's not an Oscar category, but it's still a category of films uh, called consciously creative films, films that are focused more on 
the metaphysical spiritual world, the esoteric world, um, s- s- films along the lines of, let's say, The Secret or uh, What the mm-hmm. Bleep Are We Doing Here and so forth. Even uh, even James Redfield, uh, his f- the film Celestine Prophecy about his book uh, is another one of those. I've seen that one as well. I, I am always intrigued by films like that where they are putting these wonderful ideas out there. And sometimes, and they will openly admit sometimes, I don't fully understand what the hell I'm talking about, but boy, this is just, it's just such cool stuff that I can manipulate matter or I can, I can put out intention or, and so on and so on and so on. Uh, do you focus on those kinds of films or are you, uh, do you have a set of categories that you want to represent people with? And I would assume then on the other end of it, there are specific film festivals that you would take those films to. Yes. Yeah, so we look for any kind of innovative quality film with a fantastic story, whether that be short feature documentary or narrative fiction. And we have films that are spiritual that go into a different market. And yes, there are festivals that focus on that niche. We have a documentary now called Human, Healing Journey to Being Human. And that is a lovely film because it talks about how people who are worried about, you know, doing a verdict healing and Indian healing, they're worried about how it will affect the body to actually doing it and becoming brand new people. You see the transformation and it's like a love note to Indian spiritualism in India. And it's very interesting. And that's, of course, that's a niche market. It's not like in a commercial appeal at all. It's for a certain market, but it'll do well in within its niche and Indian festivals, which is already going to be screening at. So, yes, so it, it, there's a home for it somewhere, everywhere, these kind of movies that are very niche. You know, when you, you actually, you, you can thrive in your niche when you become like the niche within the niche. So, yes, all the time. We welcome them all. Um, and if we, see, if we know who's going to want it, and we always do, we can work on it mm. all the time. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're talking with Rebecca Louisa Smith. Born to Do It's the title of the book, the website, Rebecca louisasmith.com we will be linked to her website as well so that you can continue your evolutionary process as i like to say it um one of the interesting things uh uh that i find is that there are books that i have read that were not made into films at that time and i am watching the film take place in my mind in my imagination And the one film, or I should say the one book that I read before I ever saw the movie was uh, Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. And what blew me away was that the main character in my film looked exactly the same as Tom Hanks in the movie on the screen. As, wow. as well as much of the imagery that I saw in the movie. I don't know if it was a premonition. All I know is that was pretty cool. They, they siphoned that out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it must be telepathic. But uh, that been similar things. But it's, yeah, one of those things. Yeah. And uh, I know that in some instances too, and I, I don't know if you've ever run across this, this is another area of sort of, you're judging the client whether or not I will represent or not. Uh, they'll, they'll, you, have, have you ever seen a film that you watched and you're going, you know, that didn't need to be made. <laughs> that shouldn't have been made, that kind of thing. 
quite a lot that does happen quite a lot yeah that's definitely not a um uh, a little thing that does happen a bit yeah i agree yeah. um one of those things where you see it and be like well it was pointless i mean yes it was creative but it's not really doing anything it's, it's very flimsy not in a good way it does happen a lot but then there's personal opinion as well I mean, other people might get a lot from that because it speaks to them and it resonates other people sure. might but don't it just depends you just never know who's watching just like you never know who's listening to this program or watching it on YouTube. Um, let's talk a little bit about your background as philosophically, uh, where, where did you start in terms of your upbringing and where are you today? So, um, I, um, started, um, well, I live in, I used to live in the UK. So I began academia at a very young age and went right up until my mid twenties and then I moved to Wales. That's where I discovered my sole purpose in, in UK. And then I moved to London. Then I moved to um, Mexico. So, you know, from all around the UK to here. So interesting, very interesting in my journeys. But I love the journey I'm on and I like where it's taken me. And I just love doing what I do and spreading my message around the world, being a global um, speaker and global influencer is amazing. So it's great. And I hope the book resonates with your audience. What about your 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 philosophical upbringing? Your parents, uh, how did they raise you? Um, they weren't spiritual, um, so that kind of this all came to me as I mentioned in the book when I was probably in my it wasn't until my like well late twenties, I think it was, um, when I got became more spiritual. I wasn't spiritual when I was in Elizabeth because um, I didn't know about it. But then when I tapped into it and I realised how I can co-create the universe and how you how to be grateful. I then, yeah, became more open to that and more into it. So, yeah, so upbringing wasn't spiritual, very positive, but it was, you know, a caring community and we're very close now. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to say that it's, it's fascinating to learn about people and where they're coming from, what they're going through, what they're experiencing. And, and uh, I just think that uh, people need to uh, open their minds a little bit, I think, to uh, what is, uh, what is out there? You know, it can't, uh, it can't really hurt you. We, uh, we always ask people, uh, to come to the smorgasbord. Okay. We ask them to come to the table and take what resonates with you. Yep. And when people go to film festivals, it's the same thing, but by the same token, you don't necessarily get to see trailers for these films before you watch the whole thing. And uh, as, as the old saying goes, Rebecca, um, uh, that's something I can never unsee again. You know, <laughs> it's now in there and I'm going to have to deal with that the rest of my life. Uh, there's no place for me to uh, cleanse the imaginary palate, you know. Exactly, exactly, exactly. That's true. That's true. Uh, and, and that's got to be difficult. That's got to be difficult from the standpoint of evaluating films because everything that you see, whether it be from one film to the next or between films and in terms of living life, is going to have an impact on your evaluation of that given film. How do you, if I can use the term, cleanse your visual palate so that you can go into it as fresh as is possible? You have to have a, like, literally have no judgment, have no expectation, and don't judge things until you see it and not expect it to be something that you think it is. Otherwise, it distort your opinion. Um, so to really go with an open mind and a clear mind and be open to seeing new information that you wouldn't have seen before. Mm. 
Well, I, I find your, uh, the work that you are doing uh, quite extraordinary, very helpful, very beneficial to our society uh, and our world because uh, you're helping individuals to get their messages out uh, through, through film. So we appreciate that. Are there films that you could tell us made it? Uh, not so much in awards, although I'm sure they probably did make awards if they moved on, that we would know by name over the last few years uh, that we would want to look at, maybe because of the message or maybe the cinematography. Uh, I even heard from um, a gentleman who won the sound editing um, uh, and sound effects awards at the Oscars one year, uh, and they said, and I think rightly so, I don't think they were being egotistical, if it weren't for us, you would not enjoy your films as much as you do. Uh, and I, I honestly believe that, that you can have all yeah. the visual effects you want, but if you don't have the sound of the boom of the explosion or the, 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 the instrumentation with the music and so on and so forth, it just wouldn't have the same impact. But what about films you can tell us about that you've been involved with that we might know uh, that, uh, that you've been a part of? Um, definitely check out a film called Lucid that stars Billy Zane. He's incredible in that film, acts really well. And also George Michael Freedom, a documentary that I was made on George Michael that he did himself before he passed away, is also available on all streaming channels and is an amazing piece of work, both cinematography, both storytelling, both heartbreaking. Um, so those two, I think, are the ones that appealed to a bigger audience because of the stars in them and also about the wonderful George Michael. Mm. You know, it's interesting as I have grown um, and listened to the music that I, uh, my peers specifically listened to as I was growing up in the late 60s and 70s and early 80s uh, that I didn't care for, but it was more from a, um, a peer pressure point of view. I, I wasn't going to listen to what they, because I didn't care much for a lot of my peers. Uh, I have come to absolutely love the music that they have created. Um, Queen in particular, and uh, and Freddie Mercury, and then the story I heard about him, and his musical background and his vocal range. I mean, my gosh, what a loss that we experienced when we lost him. I mean, just it was just amazing. And I, I even watched. Um, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the film that that, that the group was that was about. But nonetheless, uh, it was just a, a, an incredible. Uh, uh, talent. And so I've, I've, you know, I've started to listen and really appreciate a lot of the music that I didn't listen to when I was growing up. And I think that the same thing would be true for films, uh, that a lot of people, oh, I'm not going to watch that because, and yet if you go back, cause now you're coming at it from a different perspective. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I'm not going to be the old guy who says, Hey, you kids, get off my line. Your music's terrible. You know, get out of here. It's just the devil's music, you know, or the devil's film, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, totally agree. It's all about the, it's about the perception. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, thank you very much for today. I really well, appreciate it. 
Well, you are very welcome. I have three final questions that I would like to ask you before we go, and I ask all of my guests these questions. You may have addressed them to some degree within the program uh, in our interview, but I'd like to ask them directly and pointedly. Uh, but before I do, I want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Coming your way every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., as well as this special edition of Tell Me Your Story. Uh, also, podcast Podcasting on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other locations that you folks are reposting our interviews and our podcasts too. We're also on YouTube. Richard Dugan, tell me your story. Just look for the guy with the black hat. It doesn't look too black on the screen, but it's still a black hat. And we hope that you'll uh, watch some of these videos. If you can support us financially, we would be greatly appreciative. That's why we have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. Please do me the big favor. Do yourself the favor. You've got nothing to lose by participating in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, by going within, spending that time. Trust your intuition. Trust that still, small voice. And find that still, peaceful, calm, quiet place where you can just relax, rejuvenate, recenter, refocus. And who knows, if you hadn't found it before, you might just find a direction to your life's purpose, a direction for your life. And I'll tell you what, when you find that, man, you've got it all. Doesn't mean that uh, it may not necessarily be one of the easiest roads to go, but I guarantee you it's going to be oh so fulfilling. I can attest to that fact. With my final uh, few moments here on the program, my last three questions to you are, number one, who is Rebecca Louisa Smith? I am a film festival strategist and a published author. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Inspiring people and helping them uh, confirm in themselves that they can do what they're supposed to be doing. I can help them get their films seen around the world and win awards. And finally, what is your life's, and I'm going to use your word, what is your life's it? What I'm put on this earth to do is nurture and care for my clients and create success for them. Once again, Rebecca Louisa Smith. I want people to go to your website, RebeccaLouisaSmith.com. Again, as I said, we'll be linked to your website. And again, we thank you so much for giving us so much time here on the program. And we thank you for listening and watching. Tell me your story, new paradigms for a new world. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lull.